Authority. Authority is something that's really in the news these days. It's in our culture. We spend a lot of time thinking about authority, whether it's government's authority. Does the government have the authority to tell us to wear masks, etc.? Um, with regards to law enforcement and how far their authority goes and when does it become illegitimate. Even we're dealing with, with sort of religious authority, people who speak prophetic words and say this is what's going to happen about the elections, for instance, and other things. And There is lots and lots of talk about authority in our world these days. One sense, I wanted you to think about that word and want to try to define it a little bit because it's so prevalent in the gospel passage that we're going to be looking at, right? I mean, it's, Jesus teaches with one with authority, not as the scribes, to quote the scripture just a second ago you heard. In a sense, there's the sense of, of objectiveness to authority. Authority is, is delegated to someone. Power, basically, from, right from the, the dictionary. Power to determine, to adjudicate, to settle matters or issues. The Supreme Court has been given authority to, to let you to rule, hopefully not to legislate, but to rule on the law of the constitution of law in our country, for instance. So there's a sense of delegated authority, whether it's the police or a pastor or our government officials or the Supreme Court, any, all those things, a doctor, all that is this delegated authority that we're that are given in certain issues. But there's also a sense in which the word authority has with it a, a more subjective idea, which is trustworthiness. Someone is, we decide someone is an authority on something when we trust in their, their opinion. They, we decide that they have knowledge about some area or some issue and we grant them authority. For instance, none of us knew what an epidemiologist was before the, you know, the pandemic. And, uh, and all of a sudden, we know what epidemiologists are, and they, that we've, we've given them some trustworthiness because, because of the fact that we, we, we believe that they know what they're talking about. At least some of us do. Um, I want you to keep that in mind, those ideas of authority, that objective idea of, of, delegated, of delegated power and, and also trustworthiness, because they both play into the understanding of what Jesus is speaking about. What is, what is Mark telling us when he says that, that Jesus comes and he teaches with authority, unlike the scribes? Poor scribes. Get the bad end of the deal here. But there's another sense in which what Mark is revealing about Jesus and his power is far beyond just that objective and subjective ideas of authority because that word in the Greek actually means Power, it means supernatural power. And it's no wonder that if you were to really know the Greek, and which I don't really know, but I know people that know the Greek, and when I read about them, they tell me that, that basically when they, it says they were astonished, they were panicked and awestruck by the fact that Jesus taught with power. That there was just a gravity to his words that just sunk deep into them. And there was something about his character and person that, that was, there was a profoundness by which he spoke to them. They were panicked. They were shocked at this teaching with authority, with power, as Jesus spoke to them in the synagogue in Capernaum. Now, there's a sense in which Jesus does have power that is, that is delegated because Go back to the baptism of Jesus, which we celebrated and talked about a few weeks ago. At the, at the, at the baptism of Jesus, the Holy Spirit doesn't come upon Jesus. He, the, 
Jesus already has the, the, the Holy Spirit. He, remember God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But, but he receives delegated authority to use the power of the Holy Spirit in the world as the Father has commanded him to do. The Son is submissive to the Father. Remember Jesus says, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only do what I see the Father doing. So there's a sense in which Jesus receives that delegated power from the Father in heaven. There's also a sense that, that those who are following Jesus, his disciples, remember we talked about James and John and Peter and Andrew and Nathaniel and Philip. We've been talking about and reading about these, these disciples that are, hear the calling of Jesus and begin to follow him. There's a sense in which that subjective idea of, of, of trustworthiness comes about, that they begin to really trust in Jesus and begin to, to accept his authority because they begin to know that he is in truly the Christ. Maybe, uh, hopefully that happened for you at some point. Um, maybe you're in the midst right now of really coming to a place of finding Jesus to be trustworthy and that he, he has authority over you because you begin to believe that he is truth. Um, I am reading through, which is a spiritual practice I try to keep, uh, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. It's a timeless classic. And uh, it's so helpful for me. I'm reading a little bit in the morning. His chapters are short because he gave them as radio talks originally. But uh, came across this passage where Lewis, now remember he's writing in 1943, but Lewis says, he talks about authority, this, this subjective idea of authority. He says, I have explained why I have believed that Jesus was and is God. You have to go back and read how he comes to that conclusion. Very smart Cambridge professor in the mid last, middle part of the last century. Uh, he comes to believe, he says, that Jesus was in fact God. I believe it on his authority, Lewis goes on to say. Don't be scared by the word authority. Believing things on authority means only that we believe them because we have come to believe that someone you think is trustworthy. 99% of the things that you believe are believed on authority. I believe that there's such place as New York. Now remember, this is 1943. He's writing from England. I have not seen it myself. I could not prove it by abstract reasoning that there is such a place. I believe it because reliable people have told me so. The ordinary man believes in the solar system, atoms, evolution, circulation of blood on authority because the scientists say so. Every historical statement in the world is believed on authority. So the disciples begin to believe in Jesus because they have, see him trustworthy and so they accept his authority in their lives and so is true for all of us who've come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. But, but beyond these things, there is a power authority that Jesus displays, particularly here in Mark chapter 1, verses 21 and following. There's a power behind what he says. Have you ever listened to someone and you, you knew they had some knowledge, but you, there was just some sense in with you, within you that you, you, no matter what they said, no matter how much they tried to impress you by what they knew, that you just you weren't buying what they were selling? You, know, you just kind of had that, that gut reaction. Perhaps it was because you didn't feel like there was a lot of integrity behind it. So it's not lived truth, right? It's, it's the old do as I say and not as I do idea, you know? And there's a sense in which that can come across. There are people I've met in the Christian life over the years that seem really knowledgeable, but I just didn't find there was any integrity to their, 
to what they were saying. They weren't living this truth and coming to know it. The way, for instance, you meet somebody who's been married for 50 years and they tell you, well, this is what I've learned about marriage. You know, all of a sudden, you got my attention, right? Because you've done it for 50 years. There's something behind it. The, the person and character of Jesus displayed this power, this, this authority, this, this heaviness to what he was saying. And it was picked up on, not unlike Paul talking in our Corinthian lesson that Scott read a minute ago. You know, it's, Scott, you know, Corinthians, Paul's talking about the idea that that you can have the knowledge that there are only, there's only one true God, and so food sacrificed to idols is simply, you know, there are, there are no other gods except the one God. But, but what does Paul say? Don't let your knowledge cause your brother to sin. In other words, is your, is your knowledge motivated by love or by just a sense that you, you know more than that person and that you're going to be superior to them because you, you've been enlightened, you understand there's only one God, so. These idols are false, you know, things. And so uh, lots more to be said about that. But, but that is that integrity that comes with this power by which Jesus talks. Yes, it's delegated. Yes, there's a trustworthiness in what he says. But there's also a power to what Jesus is saying. In the midst of the teaching, with authority, there becomes a demonic outspoken manifestation. An unclean spirit, we're told in Mark chapter 1. There's this, there is a... There is some sort of an evil spirit, unclean spirit that is, that is holding this person captive and begins to cry out. Billy Graham commented before his death at some point that uh, whenever the good news, the gospel of Jesus is preached, there will always be a power encounter. You know, right now, I wouldn't be surprised if we began to have technical difficulty on the on our, on our online. I hope not. We've had it last week. But, you know, sometimes, you know, you, there, there may be, you may be attempting to, to really grasp something, some truth, some, some authority of God, his word, Jesus, the person of Jesus, and all of a sudden you'll be distracted. A crying child, you know, something that will rub you wrong, the warmth in the building, Whatever it is, right? I'm feeling that right now myself a little bit, right? But, you know, if, in that moment, there's a power encounter because, because there is a force of evil. There are evil beings that want to thwart, to distort, and to deter us from hearing the truth of God's word, his authority in our lives, and so there's this demonic outburst, this, this unclean spirit, and, and it tries to take control of Jesus. There's a sense in which in the ancient world there was a belief that if you could name someone, you could sort of take control over them, so, which is why the, the demons cry out or the, the unclean spirit cries out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth, you know, the son of the Holy One? He you know, identifies Jesus like, I, I know who you are. Why have you come here? This is not your time to, to deal with us. And what does Jesus do? In the, in the Greek, it says he muzzles the spirit instantly, and then he drives it out, like just like flicking a gnat. Jesus just takes care of the whole thing. Now, for some, it's, it's difficult to believe in these spirits. Paul refers to them as gods, and you know, in the, in the, you notice if you looked at the scripture, it's talked about in quotation marks, gods, because Paul recognized these are not really gods. He'll go on to say in 1 Corinthians that these, are in fact, are demonic spirits that, that are worshipped as gods, but in fact are, are simply 
the enemies of God, drawing us away, trying to interrupt, deter, to keep us from the things, the authority of God in his word in our lives. There's a, the late Father Rob Sanders was a priest in our diocese, and, and Rob's testimony, is, I've never heard this quite put this way, but Rob would say that, that, that evil spirits, basically he was scared to Jesus by evil spirits, that he was so afraid of the evil that he'd allowed himself to be surrounded with that he was scared to death, and he literally ran to Jesus for, for protection, and, and in Jesus he found relief and safety and and he was set free from those things and found out, in fact, in the name of Jesus, he could take authority over those things and wasn't a victim to those things the way he had been before he became a follower of Christ. Jesus muzzles the spirit and he drives it out. And he, in that moment, defeats the spirit of evil that's trying to deter this man, that has this man in bondage. It reminded me of a story of, of Scott Stephenson, actually, because Scott and I, um, years ago, um, we've known each other a long time. There was a college student. Now she's a married mother, three kids. Molly, three kids? Two or three? Two kids, yeah. And, and Molly was, she was a brand new follower of Jesus, had come to faith and was uh, living in an apartment, and she became aware that there was, a, there was an oppressive spirit. There was an unclean spirit dwelling in this place. And it was a creepy place, right, Scott? It was a creepy place. And, uh, it, you know, when I get into those situations, oftentimes I call Scott because he just has a boldness to him that if you don't know Scott, uh, you know, he... he you know, it's just helpful to have, you have a person like Scott around. And so I said, let's, Scott, let's go there. And we, and we, we took holy water and we cleansed that place. And it was creepy. But we went in in the power of the name of Jesus. And we took authority over this, that unclean spirit. We drove it out and cleansed it. We need not be afraid of these things. But Lewis will tell us that it's a danger to be afraid of unclean spirits. It's also a, it's a danger to pretend as if they don't exist. And in that day, we saw the manifestation of the evil, but we also saw the power and the name and the authority of Jesus to drive it out. And that's what I want you to hear this morning. Jesus takes authority in his teaching, but he also takes authority over unclean spirits in this man's life. We weren't there to confront evil. That wasn't the purpose that Scott and I went to that apartment that night. We went there because we wanted to see Molly brought to a place of peace and rest to be able to live in her apartment without fear of being um, disturbed and unrested by this whatever was present there in the sense of evil. And in the same way, Jesus is not simply just doing a power encounter with, with the spirits in this passage Notice it's in the synagogue, right? It's in this very house of God, you know, where there are prayer and manifestations. So there's no, there's no limit. They can show up there. But Jesus takes authority over these things because he cares for this precious man. And he wants to see him set free. Jesus has come to set the captives free. He wants to set us free from addictions, from unforgiveness, from all sorts of oppressions. 
Now, he may not do it instantaneously like he does it with the Spirit in the synagogue at Capernaum, but he will do it through lots of different ways he uses. I was reminded, I'm reading through Exodus, and, you know, there's, there's ten plagues, and there's this long length of time until the children of Israel are finally delivered from their exile in Egypt. But, but God accomplishes it. He does accomplish it. And he will accomplish those things in us. We have access, we have access to the authority of Jesus and his name in our lives today. He's come to set you free. He's come to set me free today. Well, just a couple of thoughts. Have we submitted to the authority of Jesus in our lives? Have we come to truly believe that he is trustworthy and that his word is true and that he has the power to free us from those things which would bind us and which would hold us down? Practically, you can do that in a couple of minutes when we declare the, the Nicene Creed, when we confess our faith. You're declaring that Jesus is Lord and that you believe he is trustworthy. You give yourself, you submit to his power and authority, which is one of the reasons why we do it every week before we take communion as an outward way to express the fact that we've given ourselves, we've submitted ourselves to the authority of Jesus. I pray that you would do that today if you've never done it before. But for those of us who would say that we live under the submitted authority of Jesus, the question becomes, are we acting and living out of that authority? The authority that we find in his word. The scriptures testify to the authority of Jesus. All the scriptures come together to focus on the person of Christ and his authority in our lives. I always go back to my Old Testament professor at Trinity Seminary, where Chris and I went. Chris, my friend Chris Jones is here. And uh, Alan Ross was my Old Testament professor. And Alan used to say, just, just humbled us as preach, future preachers of the gospel. He would say, God has promised to bless his word, not your word. So my job is to get as much of his word into you as possible. God has not promised to bless your word, but his word. So our job is to get as much of God's word in us as possible so that we can live out of the authority of his word through Bible studies, through private devotions with your, with your, by church. We learn to be like the church of Berea in the New Testament, Acts chapter 17. Remember, they, they studied the scriptures daily to make sure that what they were being told, even by Paul, was correct. Are we living out of and under the authority of God's word, which is always testifying to the authority of Jesus in our lives? Now, even as I, I preach this word and I realize that there is um, there's a spiritual conflict going on, I'm humbled by the idea that, that I could speak about the authority of Jesus. I mean, who... Who is any human person to speak about the name and authority of Jesus? There's no way I can communicate it to you adequately. And I came across a story by a preacher, Kent Hughes. He talks about um, a, another preacher from the last century, Dr. Barnhouse. 
Dr. Barnhouse tells a story about going on a, on a walk with a friend and the friend begins to talk to him about music and he says, what, what kind of classical music do you listen to? And he tells him and he goes, oh, I'm not familiar with that. And, and Dr. Barnhouse says he begins to whistle the symphony. And it occurs to him that, you know, it's how can you whistle a symphony, right? You can whistle a rock and roll tune, right? But you, you can't whistle a symphony. It's only by the power of the transformation in the listener's mind that a whistled tune can be transformed into a symphony in your ears. But that, in fact, is the work of the Holy Spirit. That is, in fact, what the Holy Spirit does every time in humility, a preacher or a teacher of the Word of God stands and speaks to you. It is a work of the Spirit to take a whistle and to turn it into a symphony. This morning, I commend to you the authority and the power of Jesus Christ. He comes to set you free. Whatever you're captivated by, He comes to bring you peace. He comes to declare, to declare that he is worthy of your complete and total trust. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Turn my whistle, Lord, into a symphony. Help us to understand, Father, your power and authority. Help us to, to call upon you in the places of the confrontations with evil, Lord, we thank you that you have come with authority in your teaching and in demonstrations of your power, and you continue to use those things in our world today. Oh, Lord, we hear all sorts of voices calling us to heed authority. But, Father, we pray that you would help us to hear your authoritative voice and be led by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.